So everything that we do, whether in word or deed, if we are found in Christ, we do for the glory of God. We do it because we can say all hail King Jesus and our allegiance being to Him and Him alone. And so as we gather today, we we get to do something special. Uh, We're going to take some time and we're going to pray over uh, these these gifts and and I think we we have 43 kids this this Christmas season that that our church gets to serve and and if you've spent time at Merge you'll you'll know that that number over the years have kind of, has kind of fluctuated and and as we've partnered here and and planted uh, in Azel that number has been lower than our years when we were in Lake Worth and. And, and every year I, I keep, I find myself in this conversation with people where they're like, man, there's just not as many kids. And I'm like, well, yes, that's, to some degrees that's good and to some degrees that's not good. But, but at the end of this, if our desire is to simply provide a soft space during this Christmas season for some families, we shouldn't care about how many we get to serve. We should just know that God has said, hey, I'm inviting you to adventure with me. Are you willing to do it? And so, so this Christmas season, Merge gets to partner with some great organizations in our area. And we get to be a part of a collective desire to just love families. And so what we do today is, is I'm going to invite you, some of you, if you'd like to come up and lay hands on the gifts, you're welcome to do that. If you would like to just kind of be where you're at and just kind of extend a hand, we, we would encourage you to pray in faith. But what we pray is, is specifically this. That God, you would provide the miracle that through this extension, through just a, a shirt, a pants, a jacket, some shoes, and some toys, that people would feel your love. And that we, if we are given the opportunity to spend some time with these families, that we would do more than just provide clothes. We would help them meet Jesus. So let's go ahead and do that. Kids, you're welcome to do this. And and after we're done, kids, y'all are going to be dismissed through the uh, creepy curtain up the spooky stairs. So so if you would like, come on up. Uh, We'll pray over these. So each bag is really just symbolic for a kid. And each kid is symbolic for, well, I guess not symbolic for a family, it's actually part of a family. So what I pray is, as we pray over these, that we would be mindful that these are hearts who need to meet Jesus. Father, We come to you and we are thankful. We're thankful, first of all, for the gift of your Son, who we have 
hope and peace and joy and purpose. And we thank you that you invite us into this story that you have been telling for such a long time. And we thank you that you give us these these smaller opportunities just to extend your love. And I pray for for the people of Emerge that, that they would have not just spent time buying stuff for kids, but they would have spent time with you. And that they would understand the importance of what we get to do today. Father, we lift up each bag. More than that, we lift up each child these bags represent. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that we would get to meet these kids. That you would send us out to them or that you would bring them to us. And that we would have the courage and the boldness to tell them the difference that you have made in our lives because of your Son. Father, we give you these. We thank you that you speak to us and through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, you can go back to your seat. Like, no kid wants to go through the creepy curtain or up the spooky stairs alone. All right, you got to do it as a group. So, hey, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, I I promise we're going to try to um, move us along. I know some of you are antsy uh, because the Cowboys kick off at noon, you know, but if you could give us, like, some time for Jesus, that would be appreciated. So... Um, but, but we are coming to the uh, final scenes of chapter 8 in, in Luke's Gospel where uh, we're going re- to find a resting spot uh, in our journey through this Gospel. Uh, we'll come back into chapter 9 around uh, February, God willing. And, uh, but, but these past nine weeks, uh, we've been exploring both chapter 7 and then into chapter 8. And, and prayerfully, what that has been for us uh, hopefully it's been, it's been helpful uh, because uh, what we've been attempting to do is we want to walk together in this attempt to see Jesus more clearly, right? And after all, that's, that's, our, that's our major desire here at Merge, that we believe uh, that, that the more we place our eyes on Jesus, the bigger our view of him becomes. And, and so, so what happens is we're invited into this same space that Jesus invites his very disciples into. Uh, if you'll remember, as he walks with them, he invites them to just simply follow. He just says, hey, come follow me. And, and as they walk in his wake, uh, they, uh, they see that he's significant, but, but even at first they don't see how significant 
he truly is. And, and so, so here is a teacher like, like none they've ever heard. They, they watch him pray. They watch him bring dead people back to life. They, they listen to his conversations with others as, as he explains his role where it comes to God's story. And, and if he was not so capable, you would think of him as a madman. Uh, you, you honestly would. And, and so, but yet he heals and, and he performs these miracles and he, he teaches with such authority. And, and the longer the disciples walk with him, the more they see who this man is who commands the winds and the waves into submission. And, and so our focus has kind of been with each scene. As we move scene to scene, it's really become one of faith. Because, because who we believe Jesus is has a direct effect on where you place your faith. Okay? Who we believe Jesus is has a direct effect on where you place your faith. And now the beauty of the gospel, okay, as we talk about the good news of Jesus, is, is that the gospel is one that doesn't require blind faith, even though some will teach that. Some will just say you just kind of jump off the cliff and it's Geronimo and, and as you're going down you're like, hope I bounce, right? But that's not what we find when we walk through the Gospels. When we open up God's Word and we see Jesus invite us, what we find is a faith that is investigative. That it's a come and see how good, how capable, how purposeful I am and and so, so, so we come and we, we investigate where we put our eyes on our Savior and Lord while trusting that all He says about life with Him would be true as He displays His credentials in the Word. That's, that's, why, that's why the Bible is so very important. Because it puts Jesus on display and it puts His credentials into the equation of our lives. And, and so, so since He is truthful in these pages, He can remain truthful in our lives. And, and so, so this morning, where we go is, is we're going to explore really the story of two daughters. Okay? Maybe you've heard the story in the Bible of the two sons, the, the wayward one and his older brother. But, but this morning, where we go is we pay attention to the story of the healing of, of two broken daughters. Okay? Now, I say that because. If you've ever faced brokenness in your life, then you are going to be able to hear Jesus speak to you this morning. Okay? In fact, we, we each carry uh, scars of brokenness. If I said, hey, has anybody ever been broken? You know, I think collectively we would all be like, yes. Okay? And now typically what happens when we do something like that, let's say I gave you that hypothetical, we all raise our hands and say, yes, I know. Typically what happens is we start to, ga- we start to compete for whose brokenness is more severe, right? And now, what we in those moments, what we do is we don't realize that there's no winners when we play that game, right? You climb to the top of the brokenness mountain and you get the gold medal, and you're like, yeah, oh wait, this is not a, this is not a good indication, right? And so, so what we can do in these moments is we can understand that we don't have to compete, that we all experience this. Now, if you are in Jesus, there's some of us here who have had wounds that are healed and the scar is, is less and less noticeable. Then you have others in here who are found in Jesus who have just begun 
to heal from those scars. And there's a, there's a scab, and it's still tender. And then, then there are some of us here who are not in Jesus, uh, which, by the way, we're thrilled you're here, but you have gaping wounds. And, and you try to put stuff on it, and you try to bring healing, and you just can't, because what we'll find is there are things that only Jesus can do in our lives. And so, so, so because, and I say that because I, I want to encourage you this morning to pay attention to what Jesus is willing to do in the brokenness of these people's lives and, and realize that he extends a similar invitation to you and to me. And, be, and so, so joy, even in the midst of brokenness, is still possible. Uh, it still is. And Jesus is going to show us how to do that. And we're going to see a woman who's been bleeding through 12 crushing years of sickness. And each day is, gonna, is worse than the last one. And then we're going to see a, a 12-year-old girl who, rather than celebrating the beginning of, of womanhood, faces this tragic and this life-threatening illness, and she's going to die. All right? so, so, but, but we're going to start, though, with, with a dad. Okay, uh, And the dad's name is, is Jarius, and, and the dad is going to try to do everything within his power to fight this threat to his daughter. Now, now if, you, if you're a dad, I think you can, you can understand this degree. Like, like I've always told my son, and then when, when our girls came into our home, I always told him the number one job of a dad is to protect the hearts of his children. Um, and sometimes you protect that emotionally, sometimes you protect that Physically, I, I was thinking about it this week. Um, earlier uh, in late summer, uh, Barrick and I went to our first ever, turns out, um, like father-son trip, uh, and we went to, to Portland, Oregon, and uh, and it was gr- it was a great spot. Uh, loved it. But one of the days we went into um, we went into downtown, and we were just kind of exploring the area, and and Barrick had said uh, we were we were. Well, we were playing this really bizarre game. Um, I don't know, if you're, if you're ever bored with your kids, this is a game to get started. Just see who can identify the dog first. Uh, and so, like, literally, we're, we're hanging out in downtown, and whoever saw dog uh, said dog, right? And then you just tally, and, and he's really good at it. Like, like, son, it's probably the best thing you've ever done with your life, that game. Um, but, but we're walking in downtown, and... And it's different. Downtown Portland is, is different than like downtown Fort Worth, even though there are some great similarities. Um, but, but I'm in a space that I'm not very aware of. Uh, and when, uh, when we're walking through, there's a lot of, of homelessness uh, in, in downtown to the point where there are tents on the sidewalk where, where people are, are living. Now, I think there are, there are some homeless people who are there because they choose to. I think there are some homeless people there because they're in a hard space. Then I think there are some homeless people uh, because of mental health challenges. And, you know, so, so we're in this area and we're walking through this, this zone and, and we decide we're going to go to the art museum, right? Um, because it, it actually is pretty awesome. But anyways, we're walking and, and I, I'm kind of doing the dad thing where we're, I have my phone because I don't know where I'm at. Uh, and then, and then we're in this zone, and for some reason, I get this very uneasy feeling. And I don't know if it's just my own concern. I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it is. But all of a sudden, 
Like, there's a person across the street who's yelling for no apparent reason at nobody. Uh, and then there, we're walking, and then there's people lined up on the sidewalk. And, and I don't know if y'all do this with your kids, but anytime we're walking, um, I always try to have a kid on the other side, like if a car is coming, you know, because, you know, I, don't, I, I guess that I'm going to get hit first uh, as we both get hit, you know. But... But nonetheless, we're, we're kind of walking, and I got Barrick, you know, and I'm like, all right, man, you're on this side of me. Uh, and we're walking, and then I realized that Dot isn't being as truthful as it's supposed to be, right? And now it just kind of moves us, and I'm like, why are we two blocks away from where we were going? And so I start to turn around, uh, and, and, then, and what I don't know is in my concern, my pace starts to pick up, and I'm moving quicker and quicker to where... I look back, and Barrick is just kind of moseying along. And I look back, and I'm like, hey, let's go, right? And Barrick, in this moment, all he thinks, and I think he uses this word, dad got frazzled, right? And I'm like, who uses that word? Because it's dumb. But, but, but he's like, dad, dad's just upset about the pace. And what he doesn't realize in this moment is that my concern is for his safety, Okay? Not only his bodily safety, but I also know if something were to happen to him in downtown Portland, I would never be allowed to come home. Like, this would be my new place to live. All right? And so, so he, he doesn't get this. Now, I tell you that story to tell you, I think if you're a dad, and I think if you're a loving father, you get where Jarius is going to be. Okay? So here we go. Chapter 8, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. Okay? Now, where does he return from? From the other side of the lake. Right? Remember last week, he, he released these demons and, into these pigs, and then the people came out to see the man who was in his right mind for the first time in forever. Right? And then they say, uh, you need to leave. And Jesus leaves. So, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. So, he's back on Jewish territory, for they were all waiting for him, And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, and, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. Okay, so let's, let's talk about this. Jairus is the leader of the synagogue, and leader of synagogues were, were generally social and, and economical leaders in their community. So normally, people would come to them for solutions. And so, so here he is, a great leader who we immediately find is utterly humbled by a desperate need. And, and in that brokenness, in that humiliation, he publicly throws himself down before a man who is controversial at best in Jairus' circle. Okay? Uh, so, so, so here he, he casts aside his dignity to request that this man would come to his house and deal with his brokenness. And in coming to Jesus, Jairus the leader is recognizing that Jesus, he's going to ask Jesus to do something. And he's recognizing that Jesus can do mighty things that powerful men cannot do. And what we'll find is that Jesus is willing to go. Now, now, anytime you read in the Bible that when Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, every time Jesus responds positively to a person's request, he always comes through, okay? So, so, so we can imagine Jairus kind of walking, he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, 
all right, man, let's go to your house. And so you can imagine just a, a sigh of relief that step one convinced Jesus to come. Step two, now we're walking, okay? It says, verse 42, For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Okay, so let's, let's talk about this child who is 12 years old. What, what does that mean? Because it means something more, I think it means something significant to them uh, in a different way than it would be significant to us. Because in the Jewish circles, a variety of images come to mind when you mention a girl who is turning 12. That's, that's the age in the culture that traditionally girls celebrate their bat mitzvah. Uh, they, they, at this point, they become fully responsible uh, for their own actions. They become a, a full-fledged member inside the Jewish community. And, and, and because at 12, the, the girl is on the threshold of becoming a woman. Uh, that in, in first century Jewish culture, it wasn't soon after this that parents would begin uh, making marriage contracts for their daughters. It doesn't mean they necessarily would marry immediately, but, but the, the negotiations would begin and, and they would be betrothed uh, to their husbands. And, and so in a time when so many children died young and so many women died in childbirth, they... They weren't messing around. As, as soon as you could start reproducing children, uh, they moved you into that world. And, so, so, and also, at the age of 12 was roughly this, the time where we coincided with, with puberty. So, so she's at the threshold of being able to give birth to life. But, but here in this scene, we find out she's dying. That, that she may never give life. And in fact, her life might be snuffed out. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a pin into that story, all right? We're going to come back to it, all right? Let's go at uh, the end of verse 42 into 43. As Jesus went, the people, the crowd who was waiting for him, pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And so, so, so the question kind of that bit's brought to the table is, well, why wouldn't this woman just throw herself before Jesus in the same way Jairus did? Right? Because this guy just kind of comes up, falls at his feet, says, hey, can we go to, can you come to my house? And Jesus is like, sure. So, so why would this woman do something different? Because she's about to. And I think there are several reasons. I think, first of all, she, she appears to be alone. Uh, that, that the absence of people Helping or speaking for her is an indication she has no one else to plead for her. Uh, and typically in this culture, it would be done by your father or uh, your husband. And so, so she doesn't have these people who can shield her from, from threat. And, and, and I think we can identify to some degree, maybe not completely, but have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt that there is no one to plead for you or no one to shield you? This is, this is where she was. And then I think secondly, uh, she, she may have felt ashamed to speak of her bleeding publicly. All right? or, or thirdly, and perhaps maybe more importantly, in the context of, of the Jewish culture, she is ritually unclean. Okay, so, so in, in the, again, the traditional Jewish culture, a woman who... Um, 
who is menstruating uh, is impure for seven days from the beginning of the flow to the end. And, and so, so and you can go, if you're like, prove it, glad you asked. Leviticus 12, Leviticus 15. All right? So, so this woman, in her case, is in a constant state of impurity for 12 years. Okay? So, so, so she could not participate in regular society. She, she couldn't go to the temple and worship. And, and again, because anyone who touches her becomes unclean until evening. Uh, whoever touches the bed or, or anything she sits on during the week is unclean until the evening and they have to go wash their clothes and they have to bathe in water. And so, so she could not go to be with people. And people could not go to be with her. So no one, no one could touch her hand without becoming unclean. No one could give her a hug without being unclean. Now think about that. If you're a parent, think about that. I, I love giving my kids hugs. I do. I do. Now could you imagine not to be able to do those things? This is, this is what she felt. She didn't feel that kind of love for 12 years. Years and it says that the swarm that the text says that that the swarm of people was so intense that they were pressing in they were, they were crushing and she forces herself through this crowd until she's so close to Jesus and I imagine that, that she does not want the crowd to know that unbeknownst to them uh, that she is rendering whoever she bumps into ceremonially unclean. If they had known, they would have had to wash, they'd had to bathe, and they'd had to avoid coming in contact with other people till evening, and they would have been furious with her for significantly inconveniencing them. Have you ever seen somebody lose their mind for being inconvenienced? Now, why do we, put on, why do we point out these details? Because it's not to be coarse, I promise you that. Uh, I'm just as uncomfortable saying some of these words as you are hearing them from my mouth. But, but we notice that, that Luke, um, who, who is a doctor, uh, who is writing this gospel, what he's doing here in this text, that, that often the Bible is much more earthy and much more free with the realities of, of physical life and, and bodily functions and, and sex and intimacy than, than we really are in settings like this. But, but Luke the doctor is holding up Two stories of 12 years. He's holding up two daughters who are suffering side by side. And this girl, this girl has been growing and developing for 12 years to become a woman, to be ready for marriage, to have children, all for it to stop today. All for it to stop. And by contrast, for the past 12 years, this other woman has only bled and bled and bled. And we can imagine that she is probably not married. Otherwise, her husband would probably be there pleading for her uh, the way Jarius pleads for her daughter. But no one, no one was there. And she appears to be alone. To have life in the case of the woman that's being taken away, that's fading out, to be able to give life in the case of the girl that's coming of age to give birth and that being taken away. And I think, I think we can draw some parallels. And again, we're not competing, right? We don't win if we can say, oh, my pain's worse than that lady's pain. 
But I think we can draw some parallels of these two accounts and, and the anxieties that we feel in our own lives that, that many of us have felt the anguish of something important being ripped away from us. Many have felt the anguish of, of not being able to give or to provide or to protect or, or to contribute what so many of us take for granted. So, so in her desperation, this woman's going to reach out to Jesus in faith. Verse 44. She came up behind him and she touched the fringe of his garment. So, so the fringe of his garment, typically there would be a tassel. All right? and, and immediately, immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Okay? That's Pretty self-explanatory, right? She makes her way into the crowd. She touches the, the edge of Jesus' garment. And all of a sudden, immediately, she is healed. Right? So, so she was affirming that if I could just get close to Jesus, I don't have to talk to him. If I could just get so close and touch the, the end of this guy's garment, this holy man's garment, then the power of God that flows through him would heal me. She immediately is healed and then she quickly slips away into the crowd. Now, how do we know that? Because Jesus is going to call her back. Right? So, verse 45. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? Then everybody around denied it. And Peter said, And I love Peter, because he, basically he's like, he's like, Bro, bro, do you not see how many people are here? He says, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you exclamation point all right but jesus said someone touched me for i perceive that the power has gone out from me and this this question only makes sense really to one person because there is only one person who touched him this way all right and and i think i think i think sometimes god will ask questions that only make sense to the person that he's asking it to all right so 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 what we hear what we need can be personal to us. Now, where we can get kind of lost in translation is when what we hear um, and what we need and is personal to us is, is contrary to the, all the other words in the Bible. Right? So, so God's not going to tell you to do something that's contrary to his, to his Word, which again, that's why it's important that we're spending time in the Word, but that's a different lesson for another day. Cowboys kick off pretty soon. i got to get you out of here. So, so for us, what we hear, what she hears is, hey, God is talking to you. And this woman knew that, that she was no longer hidden. She knew she was no longer alone. And Jesus is speaking firmly, but he's not angry. Okay? And, and we know this because, in fact, it's the contrary, because what Jesus is going to do is extend this beautiful compassion to her in at least two ways. The, the first one is, is there's a difference between brushing up against Jesus, like this crowd that's pressing in, and reaching out and actually touching him in faith like the woman. And Jesus is going to make a distinction between the two. Okay? Because he, he, he ain't going to yell at her. He ain't going to kick her out. He's not going to draw the attention and say, Hey, boys, take her out of this room. He's going to draw everyone's attention to what is happening with her life. That Jesus recognizes this difference and he's emphasizing the faith of the woman both for her and for those around him. After all, it's her faith that will heal her. 
And I think secondly, Jesus was not done with the healing process. Because Jesus was, was willing to make her possibly feel uncomfortable because he was going to heal much more than just her body. Okay? And pay attention to this. because it's so, This is so beautiful. It really is. Verse 47, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, Oh, I love that. She came trembling. And falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him. Why? So she had to tell everybody, Jesus, for 12 years, I've been dealing with this. And I just wanted to get close. And, and when I touched the end of your garment, I became healed immediately. So it becomes a testimony of the goodness of God. But yet she's still telling him in fear and trembling. And he said to her, watch what he does. Daughter. Now there's times when Jesus will say woman. Right? There's times he will, he will call them by their, by their name. But here he calls her by her role. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in By my count, and I could be wrong about this, this is the only time in Scripture we find Jesus calling someone daughter. It's the only time. Now, I guess technically Matthew and Mark will also say this, but they're telling the same story. Okay? So you can go Matthew 9, you can go Mark 5, you can go Luke 8. Jesus calls her daughter. It's the only time we find Jesus calling somebody daughter. And so, so what does he do here? He calls her by her name, by her role that she longed to hear. Because she was a part, and now she's included. Right? Perhaps even more than physical healing, she needed to hear from a father, her, her father. And Jesus will say consistently, like, hey, if you know me, you know the father. You can't know me, uh, you can't know the Father unless you know me. And so, so Jesus steps in and he does what no one else can. He speaks over her, this relational role, her relational role with God. And it's a role she must have thought was no longer available to her. That, that he sees the threat, he steps in, he shields her, and at that moment she is no longer alone. She hears the voice, perhaps for the first time, in her life for the first time in a long time, and she knows that she has a place at the table where the family feasts. So yes, she is clean. Yes, she can go to the temple and worship. Yes, she can, she can brush up against anyone without contaminating them, but it's also so much more. She's complete. She's whole. Jesus says, your faith is has healed you, go in peace. And so, so Jesus tells her to go into shalom. Right? And so, so we translate that word, and we think of shalom means peace be with you, but really as something, it's much more than just peace. It, it refers to wholeness. It's this, this image that, that of a fabric that's intricately woven together and can't be separated. 
This is much more than the absence of conflict. It's, it's completeness. Jesus is saying that she is complete. So, so if this woman is single, Jesus is saying you are, she is complete. If this woman is without children, Jesus is saying she is complete. If this woman finds herself in a difficult marriage, Jesus is saying that she is complete and whole. Now, who made her complete? Jesus. Who makes her whole? Jesus. Nothing other than reaching out and touching Jesus. She didn't need anything else to be complete. Why do you hark on that bag? Because you need nothing else to be made complete if you are in Jesus. Are you single? Jesus says you're complete as you are. Are you without children? Jesus says you are complete as you are. And some parents would say you're better off. No, you can't say that. That's not, that's not fair. Are you in a difficult marriage? Jesus says you can be complete even in the midst of those difficult circumstances, in the midst of those difficult seasons. And I think we often compare ourselves to others and we feel incomplete. If I could only have what they have, if I could only have the opportunity that they, uh, the opportunity that they get to be part of, if I, if I could only, if I could only, if I can only, and Jesus says, man, if you would just simply take your eyes off of them and you would put your eyes on me and you would touch the garment, you will find that you are complete without anything else. Without anything else. But, but that's not what made this woman whole, right? Jesus said she's complete when she reached out, touched her, in faith, and that offer stands for us today still. Does. So, let's go verse 49. I know, I'm, I'm working. I'm working hard, guys. Working hard today. We're going to get out of here. I pro- I'm working on it, Ryan, who's wearing his cowboy sweater, but this is distracting from this. Verse 49. While he was still speaking, okay? While Jesus is still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, from Jairus' house, came and said, Hey, bro, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Right? And so then this is the pivot point of the story that that Jesus is too late. He's too late. And maybe in their minds, uh, there's there's no longer this chance for him to heal. She's dead. And, And I would imagine, because we're quick to do this, that if Jesus had not been so irresponsible to delaying spending time with this other woman, then the tragedy could have been avoided, right? I mean, after all, this woman's been leading, been bleeding for 12 years. She could have bled for 12 more minutes. Have you ever made that argument with God? Yeah, no, just me? All right, I'll be the one. That's fine. Reminds me of the story of, of Lazarus, where Jesus, word comes to Jesus, hey, your, your friend Lazarus is, is ill, he's dying, and Jesus intentionally delays two days uh, before showing up at Lazarus' house. And as he comes out, he meets, uh, he sees Martha, Lazarus' sister, who is not happy with Jesus. She comes out and she says, if you would have shown up on time, my brother would still be alive. If only Jesus had not delayed those days, right? Martha's brother Lazarus 
would be alive. If only Jesus had, had not stopped to spend time with this other woman, Jairus' daughter may have not died. If only God had moved in my life, then the tragedy would have been avoided or, or I and my family would have been spared this pain. And I think we all are willing or capable or, or guilty of, I should say, putting God in these boxes, and, and rightfully so, because we are, we are finite people in the midst of an infinite God. We, we are limited. He is limitless. So limitless, not limitedless. Um, or we just coined a new word. All right. So Jarius, though, it appears in, in the crowd, the healing fit inside this box, and it was done. You're too late, man. If she, if she was still breathing, maybe you could have brought her, you could have healed that. But she's dead. She's dead. And yet, what Jesus is about to do, he's about to raise that, that ceiling of what he can do, because he's going to, spoiler alert, raise this girl from the dead. Okay? So, verse 50. But on hearing this, uh, but Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, don't fear, only believe, she will be well. Love that. Like, what kind of confidence do you have to walk in? He's like, don't worry about it. Only believe she's going to be well. And Jesus tells us constantly in the Bible to, to not be afraid. You can, you can very easily find 28 uh, times the New Testament will tell us don't be afraid. Uh, and, and I think there could be more. Um, and so, so why? Why does the Bible tell us that? And I think it's because fear is our natural reaction, that we live in a world that's dominated by fear, and most angry people are reacting to their fear. And so Jesus keeps telling us, don't be afraid, have faith. He doesn't say just, just eliminate the fear. He says, he says, replace that fear with faith. Okay? And so, so when, G, when he states to the woman, your faith has made you well, it's the same faith that this man, Jairus, has that the healing of the woman is almost an advanced warning, right, to Jairus. He's in the room. He's in the crowd. So verse 51. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they all looked at him and said, We believe you. So they laughed at him. No, and she's dead. And I love that scene because it's easy to make, like, those guys are dumb. And you're like, nope, this guy's dumb. Because how often has God given us a promise that we say, nah. We scoff at the Lord. And we say, no, nah, you might have done it then, but you won't do it here. So Jesus acknowledged in the fact that he's about to perform a, a temporary resuscitation, right? Now, he's not, he's not raising her from the dead uh, in the manner of the final resurrection or in the manner that, that he would be raised from the dead. Uh, Jesus is, is raising her temporarily that, that she will live her life and then she will come to a normal death at, later on in life. Same thing with, with Lazarus uh, as we go John John 11. Uh, and every resuscitation that we find in the Bible is just like that. Um, so, so we don't we don't mistake these temporary resuscitations with the resurrection of Jesus, and we don't mistake it for the resurrection at the end of time when those who have put their faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Right? It's not the same thing. 
verse 54. But taking her by the hand, okay, and that's significant. If you like to, to look spiritual in your Bible, by the hand is a significant statement because what is she in this moment? She's dead. She's a corpse. So Jesus is going to touch what is unclean and uncommon for Jewish people to, to do. So taking her by the hand, he called her child. So he calls the woman daughter. Then he calls this, this young woman child. And I love this. He just says, child arise. And her spirit returned. She got up at once. And he directed that, hey, somebody give this girl something to eat. So Jerry, Jesus with Jairus and his wife and Peter, James, and John, they walk in the room. The body is dead. Jesus takes her by the hand, speaks to her. She comes back to life. And again, whoever touches, in Jewish culture, whoever touches a corpse becomes unclean for seven days. And yet Jesus reverses this. And, and Jesus does not only, does, not only does he not become unclean, but he, but he touches her dead body and she becomes alive. It's hard to be ceremonially unclean when the person is from dead to life. So, so it says this. I love that. And we can start wrapping this up, Swan. Ryan, just breathe heavy. I'm almost done, bro. I'm almost done. Verse 56. All right? And we're coming to the end of chapter 8. And her parents were amazed. <laughs> you think? You think? Like, you don't, you don't stand in that moment and be like, oh, that was awesome. All right. What's next? Her parents were amazed, but he, Jesus, charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now, now in effect, again, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why I think that's the case, but in effect, I think what he's saying is, is, is don't get on your phone, don't email, don't, don't get on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or, or TikTok, don't get on Snapchat and talk about this. This is not a public spectacle. This is a holy moment for you and your family. So we zoom out just a bit for a moment. That Jesus is pointing to something greater. Okay? And again, we, we talk about this. That when we see Jesus perform a miracle, it's not so that we can say, ah, oh, he performs miracles. It's so that we can see something greater about who he is. So that in faith we can believe and we can see him for, for, for the Savior and the Lord that he actually is for us. And so Jesus is pointing to something greater here. That when he, Jesus heals, it's a sign that points to the authority that he has over death. Now, why is that important? Because he's going to die. He's going to come back to life. Then he wants to make sure that we understand that the enemy doesn't win for a second. Now, it might look like it, right? It might look like the enemy is winning, but he's like, no. He goes, he goes I'm telling you before it happens what is going to happen here. Back John chapter 10, he says this, he says, For this reason, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Now he's, this is prequel to the cross. This is the preamble, really. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take this up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so Jesus saw the threat of destruction before us. And he doesn't awkwardly pick up his pace while looking at his phone, trying to get his kid to follow. 
He sees the threat of destruction before us and just... And He stands in the way of it. And He shields us from it. And He makes possible a path to where we are eternally in communion with God through the cross. So we have hope. We do. That the future reality changes how we live our lives today. That we have the promise of the resurrection to come and the promise that Jesus is near today. Romans 8.15 says that, that since we are children, we've received the spirit of sonship so that when we speak to God, we can say, Abba. We can say, Papa. Say, Daddy. Today, we, we can take the posture of the woman who, who calls to Jesus, that Jesus calls her daughter. Today, we can cry out for help. And now, here's what, here's what you need to know about that. That when you cry out to God for help, you always receive healing. You do. Now, i got to be careful how I say that. Because sometimes that healing comes immediate. And then sometimes that healing uh, comes across as this promise where Jesus will say, my grace is sufficient to carry you through it. Alright? Go Second Corinthians chapter 12 there. That when Jesus heals today, it's a foretaste of the resurrection to come. When Jesus does not heal today, we have the promise of the resurrection to come. Where all of our healing takes place. All of it. So, so I want to invite you to act on, on really three responses here. That we would ask God to speak to us the way Jesus spoke to this woman. So the first, the first step of that process is that we would just simply acknowledge, honestly acknowledge our brokenness. So, so where have you been bleeding for 12 years? Where, where are your wounds? What are the things that are draining the life out of you, just like this woman? Because some of us deal with, with physical brokenness, some of us with sexual brokenness, some of us with relational brokenness, with friends, with family, with neighbors. Some of us deal with spiritual brokenness. We know, we know we're separated from God. And maybe we've never taken that step to reach out to Jesus. So we start here by acknowledging honestly that we're broken and then we reach out, number two, we reach out to Jesus in our brokenness. Do I desire the kind of wholeness and completeness that Jesus offered this woman when he said, daughter, your faith has healed you? At that moment, she's the daughter of the king. This is why Christ came to earth. He died. He rose again so that we can be called son, so that you can be called daughter, so we can call God Abba. She reached out in Jesus in faith. And I'd like to simply ask you if you're willing to be brave enough to do that too. And then lastly, can we have faith that Jesus can heal our brokenness and fill us with joy? Because again, we, we got scars. We got wounds. Some of them are healing. Some of them aren't. Again, we're not competing. But not only can Jesus heal physically, He can, more importantly, when we reach out to Him in faith, He includes us in this family.
and he gives us purpose. We are no longer alone. We are loved and valued and cherished, and we become part of this kingdom. And so, so this is a healing space. That's what this is. It's a healing space. When we go to Jesus, when we bring others to Jesus, we are agents of healing in a broken and hurting world. And with that, I say, our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Let me pray for us. If you need prayer today, we want to pray. If you want to, if you need to ask Jesus into your heart, nothing, nothing makes us celebrate more. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you move in us and amongst us. And I pray that we would be a people that bring the same kind of expectancy that we find in this chapter of Luke. Where our desperation leads us to our wholeness. Father, I pray that for us here. You already see us fully exposed. So may we not hide from you, Father. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name.
blessed week. You are dismissed.